What is going on, guys? Welcome back to the Whole Nine Draft Podcast. I am your host, Josh Berg. Joining me for episode number three with him as my co-host is Alex Katzen. What's up, y'all? This is take two of recording this episode. Five got corrupted, so we're exhausted. Um, we've got it. This is this is like the sixth attempt it's, of us recording this episode. It's been rough, but we've got a great been, show for you guys yeah. regardless. Um, we're going to do another scouts report. We're going to draft for the Washington Redskins. So if you're a Redskins fan, stay tuned to the end. We're going to give you guys a seven-round mock and fix your guys' needs. And we're also going to do a mock draft review of ESPN's Todd McShay's mock that released last week. Um, we do apologize for the delay in the episode uh, coming out. We've had scheduling conflicts, technical issues. It's a mess. Um it's, it's been a rough couple uh, last six, seven days to try to get down and sit down and record. But we've got three episodes coming for you guys at some point this week. So stay tuned and look out for that. Um, but, you know, hey, before we get into the scouts report today, make sure you guys go ahead and follow us on Twitter at WNDraftPod. Follow me on Twitter at JoshBerg0611. Go ahead and give Alex a follow, too, if you feel like it. Uh, he's got better uh, content over there than if I do. If you want to, yeah. At Alex Katzen, that's Katzen with a K. Uh, go over to whole9sports.com, check out all our latest articles, mock drafts, scouting reports. We've got a bunch of cool stuff there, including some XFL stuff that Alex has been writing. So if you're interested in that, go ahead and yes, sir. click on over there. And then uh, follow Whole9Sports on Twitter at Whole9Sports. Um, so for this week's scouts report, we decided to each choose two guys that are kind of controversial. Not necessarily like character-wise, but some people really like these players, and other ones are a little bit lower. Um Alex picked a linebacker that he's really high on, um, and that is Jordan Brooks from Texas Tech. Yeah, so um, Jordan Brooks is a guy who obviously, uh, as a as the Big 12 analyst for whole nine this year, I watched a lot of Big 12 football. I watched a lot of Texas Tech football. Jordan Brooks is someone that I love as a prospect. Um, I think he's a day two linebacker. Um, probably, I think he's my linebacker five or six right now. Um, but I still, like I said, I still think he's a day two guy. Very similar to Dakota Allen from last year, who was at Texas Tech, um, last chance U before that. Someone who just has insane amounts of range, just side, absolutely sideline to sideline, will be able to step in right away and make plays. Um, obviously, playing in the Big 12, he's seen a lot of different offensive schemes. He's seen a lot of different route concepts. Um, I really like him in coverage. He, um, you know, he... He played in a lot of wide open space at Texas Tech. And so I think, like, if you, like, that's going to be the point of emphasis him for him coming in in the NFL um, is just him being able to kind of pick through the trash, get through some of those more crowded backfields, and be able to, like, get to the ball. Um, but someone who I really like, um, I, I think he's, um, being underrated in the draft community i think people don't like him because he like i said he does struggle a little bit with getting off blocks and you know disengaging with people but just a tackling machine um at texas tech and tackles are something where i think that's kind of where the split comes in is i'm personally very high on guys that make a lot of tackles during their college career um i was really high on dakota allen i was really high on ben burke from washington um, I think it just shows that you, as a linebacker especially, it just shows to me that you have that range and you know where the play is going most, if not all the time. 
Um, but some people, you know, like my my roommate, who's not necessarily a part of draft Twitter, but just tells me his opinions about things sometimes, um, is like, well, why do tackles matter as a stat? Like, someone has to tackle them, so it's not really a big deal. Right. Um, so, you know, depending on how you feel about that, I can kind of understand, like, where having Jordan Brooks a little bit lower, but I'm personally very high on him. Yeah, I think he's someone that, we've talked about this with different positions, but linebacker, I think, is super deep. It's not very top-heavy, but it's super deep in the middle, and I think Brooks is getting lost in the shuffle because we've touched on this before. This linebacking uh, class is filled with a lot of athletes that have really good coverage skills. Um, You know, got Troy Dye, Keem Davis-Gaither, just a couple couple names there. Brooks kind of gets lost in the shuffle there because he also doesn't have that run-stuffing, run-stopping upside because he wasn't asked to do it a whole lot at Texas Tech. He was more of kind of the man in the middle roaming around in coverage for the majority of the time being that second line of defense getting tackles. Which, speaking of the tackles, what you brought up was an interesting point, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how NFL teams evaluate tackles because I know personally tackles for linebackers to me mean a lot because it shows, like you mentioned, instincts and range. But for a position like a safety who has a lot of tackles, it doesn't show a whole lot, at least to me, unless they're in the run game because the safety is kind of like the last line of defense on the defense. So it's either right. the safety is going to get if, him or no one's yeah. going to get him at all. So I right. think it's going to be If you're a safety and you have a lot of tackles, I think it generally means that your defense was bad. Right. So I think it's going to be interesting to see where teams um, evaluate Brooks. Like I said, my main concern with him is does he have the strength to kind of get through the line of scrimmage and make stops in the run? if he is yeah, asked to do so definitely. or if he's going to be drafted to a defensive team that he, they're going to be scheme-specific with him only being like a set coverage linebacker in sub-packages. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see where his value ends up too because I think if you see him go, you know, maybe a little bit later in the draft, like you see him fall to like round three, round four, maybe even round five, like because like you said, this linebacker class is very heavy in the middle. You know, I'm looking at, a, I'm looking at my positional rankings right now and I don't have – linebacker you know Patrick Queen is my linebacker three and I don't have him very much separated from like my linebacker 12 yeah you know for sure like they're all fairly close together in there like you mentioned a couple of those guys um and so for Brooks it'll be interesting to see because if he falls towards the later rounds I almost feel like a team might sit him for a year just to get him into their strength program see if he yeah. can get stronger to kind of get off those blocks and everything and then just kind of unleash him in his second year and then like he might end up as like a breakout star that way. Um, or if a team, you know, like I kind of think about almost like a Darius Leonard too. Oh, you know, for sure. Like just a tackling machine at college. Obviously he was at a much smaller school at South Carolina state ends up going in the second round of the Colts and then comes in and leads the league in tackles his first year because the Colts just gave him the freedom to play the way that he knows how to play. Right. Um, and I think both of those outcomes are pretty equally likely, likely for Brooks here. I just think it's going to be interesting to see where teams do have him, where they prioritize, which athletic linebackers go ahead of who. Because, like like we've mentioned with this lineback class, it's filled with a bunch of guys that are rangy, instinctive, and super athletic. Where Jordan Brooks falls on those boards with the guys like the Dyes and the Harrisons and um, Jacob Phillips and in that tier of guys where he goes, is going to be very right. interesting to see. I think he's better than... Um, I think he's in the like Detroit die tier of linebacker as opposed to like the Jordan Phillips, but or Jacob Phillips, excuse me. But I think that teams are gonna ha- have everyone really all over the board. Yeah, I think the combine is gonna be big for him too. I think so too. 
um, you know, obviously all these guys that we've talked about have been invited to the combine, and there's going to be a lot of athletic linebackers that are going to be at the combine. So testing so will be huge. If Brooks, yeah, and so if Brooks is able to kind of test like a head above those guys, I think you could see him rise up boards and be like, you know, third, fourth linebacker off the board. And if he doesn't separate, then like like we've been talking about, you might see him fall like early day three, which personally I think is insane. But, right. you know, if that happens, I almost want my Chargers to pick him up at that point. Oh, for sure. Um, to just kind of develop behind Thomas Davis. But, like, you know, it'll be interesting to see for sure. I definitely um, like him a lot. Yeah. Speaking of athleticism translating to the yeah, NFL. Yeah, that transition. Um, yeah. You picked a you picked a guy that has a lot of athletic traits, but maybe necessar- isn't necessarily the best decision maker at the quarterback position, and that's Jordan Love from Utah State. Yeah. Why do so, you want to talk about him today? So I'm gonna make a lot of people upset um, with my Jordan Love takes. I have a love hate relationship with him. Um, I get at it, the beginning of love. yeah, that was a good one, wasn't it? Yeah. It was a. Uh, interesting eval and a very tough eval for me to do Jordan Love but I wanted to talk about him because we talked about how when we you and I were sitting down playing this episode we want to talk about guys that are very split you know draft opinion wise and I don't think there is a more controversial QB prospect this year than Jordan Love as far as split decisions because I know there are scouts that absolutely love him and have him as QB2 QB3 then there's guys that don't like him that have him at QB seven or eight, and then there's guys kind of like you and me that have him in the middle, like five to six area. Um, there is no denying his traits. He's a big bodied six four, two hundred twenty pound quarterback with athleticism and incredible zip on the ball. His but hands when, are also very big. Yeah, they're, they're huge. But the problem is, he is not a very accurate thrower downfield, and he makes horrible decisions like knowingly will throw the ball where it shouldn't be thrown and just praying that it doesn't get in the hands of the defense, which it does a lot of times. So he's a tough eval because you and I touched on this before we hit the record button. Balancing traits and upside versus the film grade is very difficult to do, especially with the quarterback position. Because if you strictly look at Jordan Love's film, especially the 2019 film, He's probably a third or fourth round grade, but because of how high his ceiling is because of his arm and his athleticism and his size, it's finding an interesting balance to kind of put his ceiling with his grade, but also not have his tape that was pretty rough to watch for most of 2019 be ignored. Um, I currently have him as QB5, um, but like I said, I've seen him as high as QB3, QB2 on some boards. So it's going to be interesting to see where he goes. I know your Chargers have been linked to him. I know you not exactly don't want that. Um, <laughs> the Colts have been linked to him, Tampa. So it's going to be interesting to see where he goes. I think he does go round one. Uh, just the fit and how teams translate him to the NFL is going to be interesting. Yeah, so for me, Jordan Love is right now. I haven't watched uh, Jacob Eason yet because I um, emotionally haven't brought myself to do it. <laughs> as as a university of washington student um so jordan love right now is my qb4 i anticipate he'll probably end up as my qb5 i anticipate that i'll end up like liking jacob Eason a little bit better i did um maybe i'm biased but if you did too that makes me feel better i did um jordan love is someone where i think the i think where the split comes from is both that 
Some people watched his film from 2018, and some people only watched his film from 2019. Right, exactly. I'm in the latter category. I only watched 2019 film. Um, I tend to, I tend to like to watch just the most recent season of film to kind of get a feel for who the player was, is right now. Um, it might not be a perfect system, but that's just how I tend to prefer to do things. Fair. Um, especially if there's enough 2019 tape out there where I can kind of get a full eval done. Um, but, you know, last year, ton of buzz around him, but obviously that team had a lot more talent on it. That team had a better coaching staff. You know, that team had Darwin Thompson. That team had Dax Raymond at tight end. That team had, I believe it was Matt Wells coaching the team. I think you're right. Um, and this year, all new coaching staff, that talent really wasn't there, and Jordan Love regressed. You know, 20 touchdowns, 17 interceptions this year. Not really what you want to see out of an NFL quarterback. Um, like you said, kind of just not really an accurate guy. I think a lot of that comes from um, his upper body mechanics are a little bit on the uh, long side. Yeah. Um, I think he brings the ball down just a little bit too far. It kind of ends up in him bringing like all the way around in a circle to the point where when he releases the ball, it's kind of on a downward trajectory instead yeah. of like straight. Um, which I think you kind of saw manifest on some of those outbreaking routes where like he threw the ball low and the receiver wasn't able to make the catch or like he would throw it behind him and then, you know, it ends up in a pick. Um, someone who also just doesn't really look comfortable at this stage making progressions, you know. Oh, um, for I think sure. He, I think he uh, is a little bit scared of making reads. Um, I don't, you know, and again, that might just be because, you know, he was playing for Utah State, you know. Maybe he didn't trust in that offensive line that he had. You know, who knows? Um, something that we really won't know until he gets to the NFL and, like, gets into a new system and, like, we kind of see. My pro comp right now is uh, it's a little weird, but bear with me. Um, <laughs> all my quarterback pro comps end up a little bit strange. But my pro comp right now is Ryan Fitzpatrick, but, like, a little bit more mobile. Um, I think Jordan, Jordan Love can take off and run and make guys miss if he wants to. Um, but I think because he has such a strong arm, he tends to kind of – just scramble around behind the line of scrimmage and then try to make a throw. But like you kind of touched on, I think sometimes he's knowingly making these decisions that I think most evaluators would characterize as bad. Yeah. Um, because he's just putting the ball up for grabs and he's just throwing the 50-50 ball. And that's very Ryan Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrick Ian to me. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's not, that's not a knock on Jordan Love by any no. means. You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick has been in the NFL for like 15 years. He started for like six or seven different NFL teams. He's carved out a good career. Um, I'm just not sure if that's what you want out of like a first-round pick. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting because I think it, it kind of reminds me of the Drew Locke debate last year, right? Yeah. Where like the film didn't necessarily like make your eyes pop out of your head, but the ceiling is very clear. Like oh, the ceiling sure. is very clear and obvious. And, and so that's kind of like where, you know, cause I think people had this same sort of split with Drew Locke where like some oh, people, yeah. I know you had him QB one. I did. I think I had him closer to like QB four or five that year. Um, but he was playing at Missouri. And so there was never any question about the talent around him holding him back. Right. Like oh, he's for playing sure. for an SEC team. Um, with Jordan Love, that is a question. And so it kind of brings in even more questions about, like, where exactly do you put him? Because it's like, do you trust that 2018 tape where he's in a different system that, you know, I would call better than this year's system, playing with better talent? Or do you trust, like, what, you know, 
do you rely on recency bias essentially and trust what you see from 2019 and say that's the player that Jordan Love is and that's the player I'm going to be getting um so yeah definitely a guy that's going to have an interesting it's going to be an interesting debate between evaluators I until think, the draft I think he's probably the toughest QB eval that I've had in as far as full evaluations I think this is year five or six for me um yeah so I think he's definitely the toughest. Him and RG three were just are super were super hard evals for me to comprehend. And it is interesting that you mentioned Drew Locke because I had Drew Locke as QB one, and then Jordan Love, who's similar situation, I have as QB five. So I think that yeah. Locke's floor was a lot higher, but I think Love's ceiling is a lot Certainly. higher. So yeah. it's it's definitely going to be interesting. I expect him to go round one, but if I was a team needing a QB, I would probably look in the free agency market. Um, yeah. Before I took Jordan Love in round one, maybe that's just me, but yeah. But you know, world can have our own opinions. It's it's yeah. what makes our job amazing. So, <clears throat> moving on here to our mock draft review, and this is an analyst that is definitely not shy of having different opinions. Um, Good old Todd. Todd McShay. Um, so he released a mock last week. And it's a little bit outdated, I'm sure those listening have probably read it by now, but we planned this episode a couple days ago because we, again, were planning to... This episode's been in the works for a long time. Planning to record for four or five days. So, regardless, he released his own mock, and it's time for a mock draft review. If you guys missed the last time we did a mock draft review, we basically picked three players that we like at their spot and three players that we would change in their spot. Not necessarily thinking that they're bad players, but just the fit, the placement... The value isn't necessarily where um, where we would have them. So we're going to start with uh, pick 15, and Todd McShay had the Denver Broncos taking CeeDee Lamb, and we both absolutely love this fit. Yeah. Um, you know, last time when we did this, we reviewed Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft. He had Jerry Judy to the Broncos, and we talked about that pick as a fit that we loved. Um, this one I think I like even better, to be I honest. I do too. Um, I think you look at that offense with, you know, we were just talking about him with Drew Locke at quarterback. And then in this hypothetical situation, you have Cortland Sutton on the outside, CeeDee Lamb opposite him with Noah Fant at tight end, you know, assuming that he develops a little bit during this offseason. And then Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman, who I still think is a quality player at running back. And that's an offense that I think could do a lot of damage in this AFC. And I think that's like, you're going to have to be able to do that. You know, especially considering that the Chiefs are now the defending Super Bowl champions oh, in that sure. division. Um, Lamb is someone who I think just he provides so much value, both just like underneath as like your true number one receiver, just like your possession guy, but also as like a field stretching guy who can go up and get it on deep balls. You know, I know, especially with Drew Locke at quarterback with that huge arm, you know, having two guys in Cortland Sutton and CeeDee Lamb who can just go up and get it. Um, on those 50-50 balls is going to be a huge step for him. Well, uh, I know when we were talking about this beforehand. I think the one question mark that a lot of the evaluators had f- for Drew Locke was, was he going to be accurate throwing the ball downfield? Because there were some inconsistencies yeah, on his film. The best way to mitigate that at the NFL level is just have these two big 50-50 ball catchers in Sutton and Lamb that Locke can kind of just throw it up a little bit and trust his receivers to come down with it. Um Lamb's right. not going to blow anyone away with his speed, um, but he still can stretch the stretch the field, as you mentioned, make big explosive plays downfield. 
He's not going to run the fastest time. Judy's probably going to outrun him easily. Ruggs is definitely going to outrun him. But I think Lamb's body control and his ball skills are probably the best out of the three. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, <clears throat> we've talked about this, um, I think, just in conversations. I don't think on air before. But this the top of this wide receiver class, you know, we had talked about, like, we talked about, I guess it was on air, actually, because when we were talking about the Judy you. pick. Yeah, when we were talking about the Judy pick, we were talking about, like, teams are kind of, you know, people are starting to kind of over-evaluate him because he's been wide receiver one for so long. Um, and while I think that's still true, I also think that CeeDee Lamb has kind of closed that gap. Oh, for you know, sure. It's like, I, you know, I've been a huge fan of CeeDee Lamb since last year, you know, when I was watching Kyler Murray tape. This guy just kept popping off the screen. I was like, who is this man? Who, when can I draft this guy? I don't care about anything else. Can I draft this guy right, right. now? Right. And so, like, you know, and last year was my first year doing any full evaluations. And so I didn't even really know who Jerry Judy was at the time. And so I was like, oh, C.D. Lamb's the best receiver in college football by far. Like, by a country mile. He's wide receiver one in this draft. I don't care. I'm not going to listen to anything you have to say. Um, you know, oh, and then I... You know, and then I start this job, and it's like, okay, yeah, Jerry Judy won the Bilitnikoff last year, and, like, he's the best route runner since, like, you know, A.J. Green probably. Oh, yeah. In this sure. draft, you know, as a prospect. And it's like, okay, yeah, maybe he's probably wide receiver one over C.D. Lamb. But C.D. Lamb is still really good. Um, I have them separated by, I think, one player. Jerry Judy's number eight on my board, and C.D. Lamb's number ten. Yeah, I've got so, uh, Judy at seven and Lamb at ten. So right in that same yeah. ballpark. Yeah, so definitely one that I'm a – I'm a big fan of. Um, yeah, I think, I don't, I don't know, I think it's a lot more 1A, 1B than people will admit. Yeah, There's there, people. Some people have Lamb at wide receiver 1, and although I disagree with it, I'm not going to get mad at people for having that take because yeah. it's there's a valid reason why he can be seen that way. Right. Someone I else think if that, you're going to... Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, someone else that we had at... <clears throat> For at least a while, a consensus offensive tackle one is Andrew Thomas, who fell all the way to 18 here to Miami. Um, I think this is a perfect fit. I think Thomas is another guy that we've kind of over-evaluated, um, similar to Judy, just because coming into the year he was offensive tackle one, then at the end of the year he was offensive tackle one, and then people started noticing who this Jedrick Wills guy is, and he's a little bit more agile and more athletic than Thomas, so we pushed him above it. And now Makai backed in because he's higher upside, more athletics, and we pushed him above him, and Thomas is kind of just starting to fall down the board here. But one thing to note is Miami needs offensive linemen really bad. And in this mock, Wills, Werfs, Becton, and Josh Jones all went ahead of Andrew Thomas, but Andrew Thomas is the only one of those guys that has significant play time starting at the left tackle spot. Uh, Worf's played, I think, a little bit of left tackle this year because Jackson was hurt for Iowa, I believe. Yes. So he yeah. played some left tackle, but Thomas, I think, was a two- or three-year starter at left tackle um, yeah. for Georgia. He's not someone that is going to wow you away with athleticism, but he's a mauler. He's super powerful, and I think he's just a perfect fit for a Miami team that really needs four, if not all five spots in the offensive line replaced. Yeah, I mean— you kind of touched on it, right? But like you said, we've kind of started to over-evaluate these guys a little bit that have been at the top of the board this whole year. Um, and now you have, like, Jedrick Wills, who moves more fluid in space. And you have Tristan Wirtz, who people are saying, like, they might be an all-pro guard, but is still going to be a really solid tackle, st- solid starter, excuse me, <laughs> at tackle. 
Um, and then you have Makai Becton, who's like throwing people off screen on these highlight tapes that he has. And you have Josh Jones, who again is just super athletic, super high upside. And that's not to say that Thomas isn't not isn't athletic, right? Like he's still an, he's still a good athlete, I think. Um, still moves pretty well. Um, I do think it's interesting as far as like the left tackle thing goes, because in this situation, the Dolphins are taking Tua at five. Right. right? And so obviously Tua being left-handed, do you then move Andrew Thomas to right tackle and have him play on the right side so that he's still protecting the quarterback's blind side? Or do you stick him, do you keep him at left tackle and have him be just like essentially like the traditional right tackle role of just like the run blocking mauler type guy and kind of like run all your run action behind him. Um, And I think you could do either and like be successful. And that's kind of the beauty of this pick is I think that he's flexible. I don't think he's quite as flexible, um, like side versatile as like a guy like Wills is, but obviously without him on the board, like I feel pretty comfortable doing either one of those things. And I think like, the Dolphins, I think, are going to be looking for a new running back, too. And so, like, kind of having a guy to lead the way for him like that, um, I think is also something that's going to be important for that for guy's sure. success, you know, who, whoever that may be. Um, so, yeah, this is a pick that I, I really like. I don't see Thomas making it to 18 just because traditionally we've seen so it. Either. We've seen it in drafts. Quarterback and offensive linemen always get pushed up the board. I expect Becton, Wirfs, Wills, and Thomas to all be gone by pick 11 or 12. Um, but we'll, now it will be interesting to see if Miami does package a couple picks to move up to take the offensive lineman, or they just kind of stand pat and see what happens. But if the board falls the way that Todd has it falling here, I think Miami Dolphins fans would be pretty happy with having Tua and Andrew Thomas. Yeah, definitely. Um, another team that I think would be happy with their haul in this hypothetical situation presented by Todd um, is the Baltimore Ravens. Um, they're taking Kenneth Murray, the linebacker out of Oklahoma at 28. Um, this is a guy that we've talked about on the show before. Uh, love Kenneth Murray. Beast. He's my, he's my linebacker too behind Isaiah Simmons. Mine as um, well. Yeah. I think people have gotten, people have fallen in love with Patrick queen. Um, I still have to go back and watch, but I do kind of feel like it's sort of recency bias, just like he had a really good national championship game, and all of a sudden everyone was like, oh, yeah, that guy first rounder, sure. <laughs> right. Um, and again, not saying that he isn't. I have to go back and watch him, but that's just the feeling that I get. Um, Kenneth Murray is someone that I've been pounding the table for all year. Uh, again, another Big 12 guy. Um, absolutely just the quarterback, the defense there at Oklahoma. Sideline to sideline range. Um, a little bit iffy in coverage. I liked what I saw towards the beginning of the season from him in coverage. Uh, kind of fell off a little bit towards the latter half of the season once they started playing like more explosive offenses, I'd say. Um, but someone who I think you can stick in right away um, as just a guy to basically just a see ball, get ball type guy. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I think if you can kind of scheme around him having to play too many coverage reps then I think he's someone that could really shine. And I don't, you know, Baltimore isn't necessarily in a position to do that, but Baltimore needs so much help along that linebacker core that I feel like they, I feel like this is still a good pick for them. You know, obviously they're starting inside linebackers were, um, one of them was LJ Fort, I know. I can't remember the other one off the top of my head. They have Patrick Nwasu over there. 
Um, but then an outside linebacker too, you're looking at Matthew Judon's, Judon as a free agent. And so and like just, yeah. Um, and so just adding like any linebacker, I think is a pick that the Ravens fans would be happy with, or at least should be happy with. Um, and I think Murray is the best one of the bunch. Josh Bynes was the other Ravens Josh Bynes, linebacker. that's who it was. Yes, um, but yeah, like Titan. you mentioned, the Ravens miss C.J. Mosley, and that was pretty evident um, this past season. I mean, the defense was still a solid defense. Obviously, the Ravens had a great regular season, but you could tell in the playoffs when Derrick Henry got rolling, it was the second level couldn't make stops. Um, Derrick Henry was able to get upfield pretty easily. And I think with Murray... He, he's he got really good instincts, but he's got to trust himself a little bit more. Um, I feel like sometimes yeah, he's like almost like second-guessing himself. Like He sees the play happening, but he's not sure if he's what he's seeing is right, and he's kind of like half a second too slow. Um, but there's no doubting his athleticism and range, and I think that what Baltimore needs is just a guy in the middle to take control that can be kind of used a little bit all over the field. Like you mentioned, he's not great in coverage, but... If you needed to throw him out there on a tight end or whatever for a third down, he's capable of doing it. Um, I think it's going to be. I don't. I don't see him lasting till twenty eight. You and I have kind of been like the pioneers at having him go to Vegas at nineteen. So, hey, you got it right this time. I know. I was just about to say like I didn't say Oakland, so I'm starting to get better at this whole job thing. But um, (laughs) I think Murray is. The clear-cut linebacker, too. I think Queen, I think a little bit's recency bias, but I also think players didn't, and scouts didn't expect him to declare. So yeah, they, I think that I, I know that. listening to Matt, he said that the reason why Queen jumped up his board is because he didn't expect him to declare, and now that he did, now he's in the mix. But I, I think right. Murray's just higher upside, higher floor type player, and I think Baltimore's getting a fantastic player here at 28. Yeah, definitely. Um. Switching gears now to some of the guys that we uh, weren't huge fans of. Not saying that these were bad picks by Todd. Um, you know, Good old obviously he gets paid much more than we do to do this job. Um, a lot more than we do. He's, yeah, a lot more. Like, infinitely more, actually. Um, <laughs> you know, and he's good at what he does for the most part, you know. But these three picks we did, you know, have a, at least a few questions about, right? Oh, for um, sure. And the first one of those is Austin Jackson to Jacksonville. At number 20, uh, Austin Jackson, the tackle at a USC. Um, I can kind of see the rationale for this pick. You know, my roommate is a Jags fan. I kind of asked him about this before we started recording. And he said, yeah, you know, they don't really like Cam Robinson at tackle. They want to kick him inside to guard. Obviously, they have AJ Can at guard right now who, like, hasn't really performed very well. Andrew Norwell hasn't been great either, but they're paying him a lot of money, so I don't think they're going to bench him. Or, right. or cut him. I think he has too much guarantee in order to be able to do that. Um, but if you slide Cam, Cam Robinson inside to play guard instead of AJ Can, um, then you need a new left tackle, right? So then you plug in Austin Jackson. The problem with that, I think, is that I think you and I are kind of in agreement that we kind of see Austin Jackson as more of a right tackle than a 100%. left tackle. 100%. And so then the issue becomes, well, you already have your right tackle that you took last year in Jawan Taylor, who I thought performed fairly well you know he was kind of you know kind of hampered by injury a little bit Uh, obviously there was a knee injury that drove him down the board in the first place that you know that ended up with Jacksonville being in a spot to take him Um, so this one is kind of it's kind of a weird spot you know 
I guess maybe you you could also slide Jackson inside to guard, but I don't love that either. Um, a pick where, you know, their first pick, so at number nine, Todd has Jacksonville taking Kinlaw. So I think, Javon Kinlaw rather. Um, so I think at, at 20 here, you know, I'd rather see like maybe a corner, maybe a like a free safety, although Xavier McKinney's off the board. He goes to Dallas 17. Um, and even like a wide receiver too. I just think that this isn't necessarily a value pick for them, just based on like where we project Austin Jackson. Yeah, I think Austin Jackson's kind of cemented himself as offensive tackle five six. I think he's somewhere in that range, um, depending on where you look at him and Lucas Niang. Um, I yeah. think he's just he to me he's transition he transitioned to the NFL as a right tackle, and as you alluded to, Juwan Taylor who they who I thought was a first round talent they got in round two last oh, year. Oh absolutely. Yeah. Um he's your right tackle. Um I don't think he <clears throat> has the ability to play left tackle. I just think he's the epitome of what a right tackle is in the NFL. And I think he's gonna be very good at it for if he can stay healthy for ten plus years. Um so Austin Jackson to me just seems kind of redundant because I feel like you draft someone similar last year in Juwan Taylor to be exactly what Jackson would be if you were drafting him. Um a name that you didn't mention for them to target here didn't actually go in round one. That's Christian Fulton. Um, yeah, definitely. I think Christian Fulton, <laughs> I forgot that, about that, to Christian be Fulton at 20 would have been a steal. Um, and he's not even in round one of this mock. So um, he's someone that could be your replacement for Jalen Ramsey. And it's a need. And you would have two cornerstone, young cornerstones on the defense with Kinlaw and uh, Fulton on the two important levels of the defense at the secondary and the front four. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's a weird fit for me. I think Jackson's more, not just the fit itself on the team, but the value. He's a top 50 player on my board, but he's not a top 20 player on my board. And I understand offensive linemen get pushed up the board a lot. I mean, Kayla McGarry and Chris Lindstrom were not top 30 guys on my board either last year. Hey, and they both got pushed around one. a good man. I, I get it. He's a good man. He wouldn't have been the 31st pick if I was a GM. But, you know, it it's – I get the position need because they need offensive linemen, but to me it just seems like a very weird fit as far as schematics, team fit, team need, and value overall. I think Jackson would have been better off going a different direction. Um, but, hey, maybe Austin Jackson becomes a left tackle in the NFL, and I'll eat my words later. We'll We'll see what happens. Yeah. Who knows? Another speaking of Ooh, guys who are go for it. Yeah, I'll I'll do it. I because I had a, I had a good one. I'm ready to go. You're ready. Okay. Speaking go of guys it. who are questionable schematic fits. Oh, look at that one. Uh, the <laughs> the next one we uh we wanted to talk about was DeAndre Swift to the Buffalo Bills at 22. Uh, do you want to talk about this one first, Josh? Yeah, I'll go first on this one. Um, Swift, I think we both can agree is a top 20, 25 player. Um, Absolutely. I think he's 18 on my board right now. So. The, the value itself is not bad value if you just look strictly on the board where you have him ranked and where he's taken. Technically, it would be considered a steal because he's at 17, 18 on the board. Take him at 22, you got good value for your return. The problem is Buffalo has basically what DeAndre Swift is in Devin Singletary. Um, now, I'm saying Swift is more polished as a runner and a receiver, I think. Um, I think he's overall better running back than Singletary, but I think Buffalo has other needs here that can be addressed. 
other than running back. I don't think Buffalo is for running back. I don't even think running back's a top three or four need for me on their board. Um, and if they were to go running back, I think they need someone that would complement Singletary more as far as a more downhill power runner as opposed to a elusive receiving threat because I think you have that already in Singletary. Um, I know that in a lot of mocks we've seen Buffalo go with a big-bodied receiver. Um, I think T. Higgins, who was still on the board at this spot, would have been a perfect fit. He would have complemented John Brown and Cole Beasley really nicely. You would have been able to use the big arm of Josh Allen in the red zone um, to throw up 50-50 catches to T. Higgins, and you still would have been able to stretch the field with Brown and Beasley in the slot and on opposite of Higgins. So I just think edge is another spot where they could have gone here. Um, that is also a need. So again, positional value as far as what they need versus the position that they ended up taking. We've seen running backs just, you can find them pretty much anywhere. And the fact that they already have Singletary just makes this a little bit of a head scratcher for me. Yeah, I mean, you largely touched on everything that I kind of want to talk about this with this My pick. bad. Um, no, it's all good. You know, it just means we're in agreement, which is always a good thing. Always. Um, But yeah, I think as far as, the fit goes. I think you and I are both in the uh, of the mindset that the Bills should either re-sign Frank Gore for another year if oh, yeah. Frank Gore is going to continue Frank playing the football, tank. or um, target like more of like a um, who's a like a Zach Moss maybe in the middle rounds, or even like if you want to go in the later rounds, you could target like a AJ Dillon, like a Sewa Alonalua. Like just like these bigger guys who can run with a lot of power, yeah, and just kind of plug them in next to Devin Singletary. Um, as far as Carlin calling Singletary receiving threat, I know he didn't do it a lot in college, but he wasn't asked to that much, and I think he showed development uh, while he was on the Bills. But also, like, I question the utilization of a receiving running back in that offense anyway, because Josh Allen's your quarterback, big arm, right? Right, yeah. So, like, you're not looking to throw swing passes to your running back ten times a game, I think. You want to stretch um, the field. You want, to, you want to be throwing it, like, 30, 40 yards down the field because Josh Allen can. And even if you're not doing that, you want to be running, you know, some of these quick-hitting plays where Josh Allen can rocket it in there, you know, because he really – like, I don't really think he can throw it with touch yet at this point in, this, nope. in his career. he hasn't shown it at least. Right. Like, right, he hasn't shown that he's able to at least. Um which makes the fit as a receiving running back anyway kind of weird. Um, Swift is, I think, the best receiving running back in this class to me. He's also overall the most well-rounded. Um, he's number 20 on my board. So, again, like this is a good pick from just like a pure value standpoint if you're ignoring like positional need, ignoring positional value, all the things like that. But I think for Buffalo, like you said, um, edge is a need, wide receiver is a need. There's really not a whole else, a whole lot else though, for this Bills team. I think they're uh, pretty well set up actually. I think so too. I think they can use maybe another uh, another corner, but yeah, maybe could use those these days. So yeah, exactly. But yeah, I think if you, I think if they hit on like these first two, three picks that they have, and we'll talk about it, you know, a little bit later down the line when we get to them in our mock series, but. If they hit on those picks, I think that they're well set up, and I don't think that Swift really moves the needle for them. Yeah, I would, I would, I would agree with that. Um, like I said, I'm Swift, good player, very good player. He's my very running back player. one. It's just the fit, yeah. similar to Austin Jackson in Jacksonville. Just it, 
it's just a weird fit for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, now I'm going to talk about the Vikings. Um, no smooth transition needed here. Um, as a Vikings fan, I saw this pick and immediately started scratching my head. Um, and that was Ross Blacklock to Minnesota 25. Um, and you and I were talking about this when we were planning the show. They, If you're taking an interior defensive lineman, they picked the wrong interior defensive lineman. And if they're taking a TCU player, they took the wrong TCU player. Um, yep. If they were gonna, if Todd was gonna go interior defensive line here, which I'll go in depth on in a minute, Neville Gallimore I think is the better interior defensive lineman um, on the board. So I think that that would have been a better pick as far as value standpoint. I think Gallimore and Blacklock are separated by I think like ten or twelve players on my board. So there's a not a huge uh, gap, but a significant gap in order to want the change. But I am a uh, member of the Jeff Gladney hype train and Vikings need a corner Xavier Rhodes fell off a cliff don't even mention the Pro Bowl don't do it um but Josh he made the Pro Bowl (laughs) Pro Bowl is a joke um just like Xavier Rhodes cover skills this past year um and then Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander both free agents there is no way they're going to be keeping Xavier Rhodes he'll be cut or traded for pennies and Alexander or Waynes will be back. I think one will be back. I don't think both will be back. So to me, corner is the number one need for the Vikings as far as the way this board is falling. Interior offensive line, I think, is by far, like I think we can agree, that's their big need. Pat Elfline is horrible. But in round one, there's not an interior offensive lineman worth taking here. I think we can agree on that. So yeah, as far as okay. round one picks, corner is the number one spot. And like I mentioned, Jeff Gladney, was still on the board. Christian Fulton wasn't taken in this mock. So those are two. I think they're my corner two and three that were still on the board here. And they went for my interior defensive lineman five. I think it's just a little bit of a uh, questionable pick. I think if you were to get Blacklock in round two, I'd be all for it. I think he is more of a mid-round two player than he is a first-round player for Minnesota, that is. Yeah. And uh, before Brandon fires us, because I know Brandon loves Ross Blacklock. Oh, yeah. Ross Blacklock is a good player. Yeah, he's a very solid <laughs> he's player. He's good at football. I just don't love him on the Vikings at 25. I think because Christian Fulton's not off the board and because Jeff Gladney's not off the board, what that tells me is that Todd is probably a little bit lower on this corner class than some which of the other mocks that we've I seen. I don't get it. Which, yeah, I don't really get it. But I will say... That does mean that perhaps, you know, if you extend this hypothetical outward, obviously this is a one-round mock draft, but if you extend it outward, maybe you're able to get Jeff Gladney with the second-round pick, right? Maybe. And then if you kind of if you kind of flip those values, right, where it's then like it's you'd rather take Jeff mark. Gladney in the first and Ross Blacklock in the second, but if you flip them, then it's still pretty much the same and you're still exactly. happy with it. Um, so from that, from that perspective, like, I don't think it's a terrible pick, um, but like... I mean, like you said, it's the wrong interior defensive lineman and it's the wrong TCU player, at least to us, right? Yeah. Um, I think also the the part about it that confuses me a little bit, right, is that uh, Ross Blacklock is more of a pass-rushing defensive tackle, um, and I think the Vikings more need a run-stuffer, correct me if I'm if wrong. If they, yeah, if they, um, if they let go of Joseph, decide they like need we one think. at all. So like um, you said, they're either going to cut Linval Joseph, they might be able to restructure him. I don't know exactly what his contract looks like, but either way, like they're not paying they're not going to pay him the amount of money that he is currently correct. owed. Um 
But you have um, Daniel Hunter and you have, um, what's the other guy's name? Everson Griffin. I can't remember. Yes, Everson Griffin on the edge. Um, and so you really don't need, at least as the way I see it, you really don't need a pass rushing defensive tackle as much as you need just a big body that can stop the run Correct. if you're going to get rid of Linval Joseph. And to me, Ross Blackhawk isn't necessarily that guy. I think Gallimore is a much better run stopper to me. Um, if you're drafting for like overall, like who's a better player, I think it's still Gallimore, but I can see an argument for Blacklock just because like, Blacklock can stop the run. And I think like there are, I have a few concerns about Gallimore's conditioning. Um, I know no, I've no, given noticeable in Mobile. Yeah, I've given Gallimore to the Vikings a couple times under the premise of you try to restructure Linval Joseph or you keep him and you play Gallimore as a rotational guy the first year when as like you know and get him into the conditioning program and then you let Linval Joseph walk and you have Gallimore step in the second year as your full time starter. Yeah, um, I think. Yeah. It's just an interesting fit because if we let Linval Joseph go, Linval's that big run stopper in the middle. We have a guy on our bench in Jaleel Johnson who we took in around four, I think, two years ago, who I really liked coming out of college. And when Linval was in and out with injury this past year, Jaleel Johnson stepped in and played really good football. So to me, the notion that we desperately need an interior defensive lineman when the NFL is becoming more of a rotational defensive line league nowadays where you don't have the same guys on the field in first second and third down you kind of rotate them all through i think jaleel johnson and shamar stefan are capable of being starting interior defensive linemen is it ideal no but with the way the value is on the board here at corner i don't think interior defensive line is as big of a need as people are making it out to be because i think jaleel johnson basically is a dollar general version of limbaugh joseph he's a big bodied run stuffer that I think can do the job that Linval did at a much cheaper price. Yeah. That does make me wonder, though, too, if maybe the way that Todd is looking at it is, okay, if you're a, you know, like, I don't know how well-versed Todd is in the depth chart of the Vikings defensive tackles, right? But assume, like, giving him some credit and being like, okay, Jaleel Johnson stepped in and played well. So you have Jaleel Johnson step in and have him replace Linval Joseph. Then I can kind of see where he's going in terms of like you don't need another run stuffing defensive tackle. Yeah, and that's in Neville Gallimore, right? So then you take Blacklock, who's more of a pass rusher. Maybe you have him start instead of Shamar Stefan, or you just have him like all three of them kind of rotate in and out, and then you just have like a nice three man rotation for those two spots, um, and they all kind of do slightly different things. Yeah, um, and so I, I can see it. Like I said, like I think. Like we've both kind of said, we don't love it, but like we can sort of see it. Um, I don't, but just with the other positions available, it's not. Like I said, I don't hate the pick, the pick as far as Blacklock to Minnesota. I just hate at twenty-five Blacklock to Minnesota over the corners that were available. That I think yeah, is a much definitely. bigger need. So definitely, that's yeah. that's coming from a Vikings fan, but also from a draft perspective too. So, well, we'll see how it all plays out. But yeah, we've got a mock draft. We do have a mock draft. It's uh, not like a Todd McShay mock draft. No, it's it's a Washington Redskins seven round mock draft. Um, that it is. So if you guys missed the last episode, we did the Cincinnati Bengals, and we're gonna do this for all the teams. We're gonna go through the first round teams, um, and then we're gonna go back and do you know the Steelers, Rams, uh, whoever else doesn't have Bears, and uh, who else doesn't have first rounder? Texans. Ah, Houston. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna go through and do all them for all thirty two teams. Give you guys seven round mocks. No trades, just the picks. We both used a draft simulator 
same board and we both did our own seven rounder and then we came together and made a consensus for Washington. Um, when we originally did this, we didn't know the Quentin Dunbar news. So we went back and redid it again, putting this was in... The, this was the sole benefit of us losing the file of, <laughs> That's note, exactly of our it. It original was. recording and the sole benefit of us taking a week to record this episode specifically is all of a sudden exactly. we find out Quentin Dunbar wants off the team. And, and Trent like, Williams oh, now has okay. had positive talks with yeah, yeah. Ron Rivera. So, <laughs> so, it's just, so the mock looks a little bit different than it did last time we recorded this but episode. But I think it, it's, it's, it's fine. It's good. I like it. I like it. Yeah. The one pick that didn't change, though, is pick two, and that's Chase Young. I think we can yeah. agree Chase yeah. Young is the best player in the draft, probably the best player to come out in the last couple of years, and Washington's defensive line would be freaking insane with Chase Young. Yeah, I mean, you look at that defensive line, and all of a sudden you have, what, Chase Young and Montez on the outside, Jonathan Allen inside, Deron Payne inside. Matt Ioannidis, too. Matt Ioannidis hanging around there. You know, it's, you can kind of scary. relegate Ryan Kerrigan to more of a rotational role as he gets older. Uh, that's a nasty front line. Oh, for um, sure. The it That pick just screams to me that the objective of next year's season is to attempt murder on Daniel Jones. <laughs> Might be, which, <laughs> hey. Just full-on attempted murder. It's, it's going to be scary. And I think with that foundation, you especially with how bad the NFC East is, if Dwayne Haskins develops, takes a nice, not saying a Patrick Mahomes step from year one to year two, but if he takes a good step to year two, Washington could be in the mix for winning the yeah. NFC East over the next couple of years. Yeah, even just like a Jared Goff step. Yeah. From year one to year two, you know? Like, I, you know, the Eagles look like they're on the downswing. The Cowboys can't possibly pay everybody. And the Giants um, have Daniel Jones starting at quarterback. Yeah. Sorry, Brandon. <laughs> Sorry, um, Brandon. So, you know, if Chase Young is the player that we all think he is, um, and Dwayne Haskins, you know, takes that step forward, like you said, I think we could definitely see the Redskins all of a sudden challenging for the NFC East title in 2021, and maybe even 2020, depending on, like, how everything works out. Um, yeah. I, which is crazy to think about. It really is, but shout out to Ron Rivera. He's created a great coaching staff down Love Ron uh, in Washington. He's, he's really good head coach. He seems to have the front office in check so we'll kind of see what what ends up happening here with washington but we touched quick on aside. dwayne haskins quick aside sorry no go for we it we talked brandon and i talked to ron rivera at the senior bowl very briefly because we just ran into him and he did say that the giants didn't call him back so i think huh. the goal is definitely attempted murder on oh Daniel for Jones. oh for sure for <laughs> so, sure so there you go I, <laughs> little insider information there you, go. you heard it here first but we touched on dwayne haskins and his development uh, one of the better ways to develop a young quarterback is get him stable offensive line play and get him playmakers on the outside. Assuming Trent Williams comes back and assuming they franchise tag Brandon Scherf, now obviously things can change. They can tag and trade Scherf. They can let him walk. Trent Williams might just say, screw it, not come back. But as of the news that we've looked into right now, Williams has talked to Rivera. They seem to be positive communication working towards at least him coming back to the building. And... As of right now, there's no signs of them letting Scherf go. So the offensive line's still pretty intact, and it's pretty solid. Um, yeah. Let's get him another playmaking receiver. And Brandon Ayuk was available in round three, and we just could not pass him up here. Yeah, the fact that he's available in round three in the first place is ridiculous. I don't think it, that's a, one of those picks where I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's no. possible. <laughs> but 
because it did happen in this simulation that we did. Do uh, it. We went ahead and picked him. Yeah, I think you look at that receiving core all of a sudden, and you have Terry McLaurin on the outside, who obviously was phenomenal in his rookie year, already has a lot of chemistry with Dwayne Haskins because they played together at Ohio State. You have, I hope I get this right, Calvin Harmon on the outside. Yes. Um, who didn't get to play a lot this year, I, I think. Um, but we both I think he liked was injured him for a lot of the year. Last year. Um, but I, I liked him coming out, yeah. And I think he could still be a good player for them. You know, so you can kind of see what you have with him. And then you add Brandon Ayuk in. And Brandon Ayuk can immediately come in and play the slot, right? And he could be your kicker turner. Oh, yeah. Um, And, you know, that's kind of what they're missing, at least from the wide receiver position, at least the way that I see it. Um, is just someone that can kind of stretch the field out of the slot um be able to make plays um and Ayuk is just first and foremost Ayuk is just a playmaker oh, and I think sure. too you if you get like hands. a year yeah and definitely and I think if you get like a year or two in and you decide okay Calvin Harmon isn't the answer here you know I think he was like a fourth round pick or something yeah um and you decide okay that's not working out you can move Ayuk outside oh easily and you can have McLaurin and Ayuk on the outside and that that would be just as good I think easily and so easily. like that versatility too, that kind of gives them that flexibility moving forward. You know, I think the Redskins still do have Paul Richardson also. They do, yep. Um, a guy like Steven Sims too, that's kind of hanging around. So like a lot of guys that you can kind of like change around, put in different spots, see what they can do, um, and just give Dwayne Haskins a lot of a lot of fun stuff to play with. Um, like you said, behind an offensive line that looks like it's going to remain mostly intact from last year. Well, so and that's a. Uh, a good sign. We talked about the youth and versatility on the defensive side of the ball with the defensive line. If Washington can have a fully healthy season with Darius Geis, Dwayne Haskins, adding an IUK to Terry McLaurin, and even if Paul Richardson has to be a wide receiver two, wide receiver three next year, that's a pretty good offense. If Haskins can put it together, that that offense is going to be a little, little bit uh, intriguing to watch on Sundays. Yeah, definitely. I think it it would be one of the more fun offenses in the league, I think, at least yeah. from a pure talent perspective. You know, obviously you have to see what the actual product looks like on the field, but just in terms of name value, like absolutely one of the more fun. us draft nerds anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we touched on Quentin Dunbar. He wants out. He wants to get traded or released. He would like to leave. Um, and they look to be getting rid of Josh Norman um, because he's making a ton of money. So they need money, they need a corner say. and another player that we really didn't expect to be here, who I like I'm I'm honestly shocked he was here in round four is Darnay Holmes corner out of UCLA, he's someone yep. that if you just judge him on film you're not gonna like him he had some rough plays he looked like he was taking plays off he looked like he just didn't like playing for UCLA whether this is true or not we have no idea but it's just scouts evaluation watching tape, but watching him live in Mobile he was easily the best corner in mobile he was able to be physical he was breaking up passes he was able to um take on big receivers take on smaller receivers fast receivers he was able to be so versatile and the only receiver that at least i saw that could that beat him one-on-one all weekend was van jefferson and van jefferson is a smooth route runner so yeah i mean darning holmes is just a super really solid corner. I think he can plug and play as, as your number two corner. He'll probably have to play the cornerback one role if they're losing Norman and Dunbar. Um, but I think his he's going to be a cornerback two in the league. He can play outside. He can play in the slot. Um, 
he's I think he's just a, a really good fit here in Washington. Yeah, definitely. You know, you look at that depth chart in Washington, and you have Josh Norman and Quentin Dunbar, who we're pretty sure are both going to play for different teams in 2020. Um, Josh Norman, they might be able to restructure him or something because Ron Rivera is the coach now. You know, they have that familiarity. Um, but we'll see as far as that goes. And then, you know, beyond that, you have Fabian Moreau and Jimmy Moreland, both guys that they drafted last year, who I thought looked solid, but I don't know if I want either one of them to be my number one corner moving forward. No. Um, like and then you have some veteran guys like Aaron Colvin, Kayvon Webster, you know, just kind of guys that have been around. Colvin's more of a slot corner to me. Um, you know, so a lot of a lot of uh, question marks at the position right now, I think. And like you said, I think Darnie Holmes can step in and kind of be that number one corner, even though he's going to be a, like he'd be coming in as a fourth round pick in this scenario. Right. You know, you don't see a lot of fourth round picks stepping in and immediately being your number one guy at that position. Um but yeah, someone who, like you said, I think if you watch another guy, like we talked about earlier with Jordan Love, where if you watch the 2018 tape, Darnie Holmes looks like the best corner in the entire universe. Yeah. Um, he's hanging with Marquise Brown on go routes. He's, you know, he's bodying up people at the line of scrimmage. He's, you know, he looks like a complete corner. And 2019 film, you don't see that. Um, no. He's taking plays off. You know, he looks kind of lazy. He looks like he's kind of given up on the team halfway through the season. Um, again, don't know if this is true, um, but it's just what it looks like, right? And um, so, but at the Senior Bowl, you know, that 2018 player came through. And so if you're drafting based on who you think you're getting right now, I feel confident that I'm getting 2018 Darnay Holmes. Even though I do too. I'm seeing 2019 Darnay Holmes on film. Uh, and if you're getting 2018 Darnay Holmes and Senior Bowl Darnay Holmes, in round you're getting four? a very, very good player that's not going to be there in the fourth round. Well, and I think, I don't know where he's on, he is on your board, but he's a top 60 player on my board, I think. Um, Let's see. I think I've got him like 57 or something like that. So I have him at 57. <laughs> look at that. Um, so look at he's that. just, he's someone that is going to get <clears throat> lost a little bit in a deep corner class, but I think him showing out at the uh senior bowl is going to help his stock a ton because it proves to everyone that hey i'm still a 2018 guy 2017 or 2019 was just a rough year as far as the entire ucla football team because we saw yeah just i saw it a little bit we touched on this i saw it a little bit with josh kelly's tape too where he just he didn't look excited to be there um at ucla so and he's one of the like the nicest guys ever so um, yeah. I don't know. I think that this is this is a great value pick here for Washington did, in round four, which I don't see him being here in round four. By the way, did we talk about why the Redskins don't have their second round pick? Uh, Indy, right? Yes. Yeah, so they, they did the, the Indy trade. Darnie Holmes year. would be the Redskins' third pick in this draft, but it's their fourth round pick. They don't have their second round pick because they traded it to the Colts to move up in the first round last year to draft Montez Sweat. It's a pretty good um, trade-off. So they got Montez so, Sweat in round two of this year's draft. I think yeah, that's a pretty good deal. Basically, yeah. So they got Brandon Ayuk in the third. They got Darnie Holmes in the fourth. Just that we're all on the same page. And then in the fifth, they Not find Jordan fifth. Reed's replacement. Yeah. Um, I really like this pick, actually. Um, I, I did, Harrison too. Bryant out of Florida Atlantic. Um, won the Mackey this year, but has kind of flown under the radar as far as prospect goes. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of underclassmen that kind of have surpassed him. You got your Cole Komets, you got your Thaddeus Mosses, your Hunter Bryants, you know, a lot of... Then you got some guys that, like, played for bigger schools that had a little bit more hype coming into the season, you know, Albert Okwuegbunam, uh, Colby Parkinson, even. Um, and then you have, like, you have some small school guys that look really, really good, like Adam Troutman. Adam Troutman. Um, where Harrison Bryant begins to kind of become an afterthought in this tight end class. And it's something that we touched on earlier when we were talking about Jordan Brooks and the linebacker class. This tight end class is really, really thick in the middle of it. It's yeah. not very top heavy, but the guy, like between tight end three probably and like tight end 10 are all pretty much like the same round grade to yeah. me. Um, and Harrison Bryant's definitely in solidly in that tier. Oh, um, for sure. Someone who is has a very complete game, I think. Um, obviously, winning the Mackey Award, it's a little bit more of a receiving tight end award because um, you have to put up statistics. So, very good receiver, um, but also I think is like a quality blocker. And like you said, with Jordan Reed, Jordan Reed seems like he's you know probably one more concussion away from retirement. Yeah. Um, Vernon Davis already retired. I think he retired during Super Bowl week. Yeah. So tight end is kind of a sneaky need for this Redskins team. Um, and I think Harrison Bryant, especially in the fifth round, I think Harrison Bryant's a really, really good pick for them. Well, and I think we touched on this when we are talking about Haskins, just getting him more weapons on the offense. You find yeah, him now exactly. a slot receiver who can be over the middle, but you also now find a receiving tight end, which is what Jordan Reed was for the team. You just find a receiving tight end to replace him that can help over the middle and – like I said, in the fifth, the, Bryant's my tight end six. Um, and you're getting him in round five. So I think the value here, um, when I saw him available on the simulator, because I made this pick, I just, it was way too hard to say no to it. It just, you, you had to make the pick here. Um, I think tight end is one of the more sneaky needs, as you mentioned, for the team. Because, you know, when you look at the roster, it's like, okay, they're going to lose Trent Williams, Brandon Scherf, they need offensive linemen. Um, Geis' injury issues, maybe look at running back. They need a legit number one receiver, um, all these other things. Tight end's kind of something that that is going to be a need for them. And I think that if a young quarterback can establish connection with a tight end early, tight ends are a QB's best friend. I mean, we saw what Gronk did for Brady. We saw what Jimmy Graham did for Drew Brees. It, tight ends are... Yeah. I mean, Kyle Rudolph for Kirk Cousins in the red zone. You find these tight ends Antonio that can make Gates plays. Yeah, I mean, you just find good tight ends. They last a long time. They're productive. And Bryant, like I said, he won the Mackey Award, and he was super productive in college, so he was a stat stuffer. He can come in, and he's not a horrible blocker. Um, he's not, like, great, but I think he's shown that he's willing to learn and become a better blocker. So you could use him yeah, that um, way, too. Yeah. Um. He's my tight end six, also for what it's worth. I will say though, um, I didn't, I didn't realize this at the time when we were doing this mock draft. But the Redskins do have Dylan's favorite player on their roster in Caleb Wilson. Uh-huh. So maybe they don't Uh-oh. need a tight end. Maybe they don't need a tight end. Maybe, maybe they don't. But that's not a that's not important. Anyway, uh, next pick for the Redskins is not a sixth round pick. It's their seventh round pick. They don't have a sixth round pick, and they have an extra seventh round pick because of the Case Keenum trade this offseason with the Denver Broncos. So they have the Broncos' seventh-rounder, and the Broncos have their sixth-rounder, and the Redskins also have Case Keenum. So congrats to them. Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> we can really pump these own... two picks in one. 
Yeah, probably. So at 193, we have him taking Keith Ismail, the interior offensive lineman from San Diego State. And with the 206th pick, we have them taking Charlie Heck, the tackle from North Carolina. Both these picks, I kind of, I think we kind of have the same philosophy, which is basically just draft these, you know, take a flyer on these guys, see if they can develop. Obviously, uh, Trent Williams is a free agent after this year. If you can convince him to play, then you have one more year of Trent Williams, and then he's probably leaving in free agency or, you know, what have you. Sure, if you're going to tag, if you're going to trade him, if you're going to keep him, you know, it doesn't really... If you're going to keep him, then you have him for another year. And then, like, both those guys are under contract for one year. And then you can kind of see what you have with these two flyers and decide whether or not you need to take a tackle or a guard really highly in the 2021 draft. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much the philosophy. I mean, I think I think Charlie Heck's a little bit of a better player than the seventh-round guy. Um, but, yeah, again, these it's just the board. Just so large. that Right. It's just the board that was given to us. And... You know, I think if Scherf's going to get traded, he's going to get traded for a mid-round draft pick, which you could also use on an offensive lineman there as well. So I know That's that true. if if Minnesota had the cap room, they'd trade their first-round pick for Brandon Scherf right now, and I wouldn't complain. So, I, I mean... My, I mean, the Chargers have a much higher first-round pick, so I'd probably trade my second-round yeah, pick for so, Brandon Yeah, so, I mean, if you're going to tag and trade Scherf, he's going to have value, and you can use that pick to find his replacement. Um, we just felt there were other needs that were more important and we were also banking on Williams having the positive toxin coming back and then Scherf being tagged and playing for Washington that we yeah. kind of just like let's take two developmental guys um, that we can kind of have in the system see what we have in them you know as far as backups or what have you and if right. we need to attack it heavily next year say they are bad there's this pretty good offensive tackle um, out of Oregon that Washington can easily take next year so That's very true. Th- it's just a developmental guys here. I think Hex a little bit better than seventh rounder. I think he's more of a fifth or sixth guy, fifth round guy. Ismail, I'm not sure if he's yeah. going to be a center or a guard. Um, I haven't really dug that deep into him. I think he can play either one. I think he could um, too. Um, I think he played primarily center at San Diego State. Yeah, he was um, mostly. I'm from San Diego. I'll take over. <laughs> <laughs> um, he played primarily center at SDSU. Um. Played some guard at the Senior Bowl. I thought he looked better at guard, honestly, than he did at center for most of Senior Bowl week. But part of that was just because um, he was on the same team as Matt Hennessy, and Matt Hennessy looked really good at center. Yes. And so it was kind of like he kind of had like a – Ismail kind of had a very quiet Senior Bowl week, but he yeah. was very quietly good. Um, but like you said, just two guys where I think they're both a little bit raw, especially if you're going to mo- be moving Ismail to guard. For sure. Um, and Charlie Heck is, you know, I think like 6'9", but he he looks a little bit like a basketball player than a little bit more like a basketball player than a football player. So I think, you know, getting Heck into the strength program and getting Ismail just more reps at guard, if that's where you're going to move him, and just seeing where those guys are at in a year, I think is valuable. And I, I mean, it's a seventh-round pick. The worst-case scenario is you cut them in the offseason if they don't have a good offseason, a uh, good you know training camp or what have you and you don't have a seventh rounder i mean it's not that big of a i mean i know every draft pick's important and you want to have a young core but losing a seventh round pick is not the worst thing that can happen to a franchise so yeah definitely i think it's all about bringing but you can in always like stash them on the practice squad do you yeah think for that, sure you know? for sure but 
you know, Washington's going to be an intriguing team. I think they're quietly a team that not many people are, are talking about, and I think they're quietly a team that can make an impact if they hit on all their picks this year and yeah, their guys continue to develop. Like, you know, Haskins and Guy stays healthy and McLaurin takes another step forward. It's it's going to be interesting because anyone can win the NFC East. So, it kind of... Uh, it kind of just see how everything goes here. But that's going to do it for this episode. I hope you guys did enjoy it. It actually went by quicker than uh, the last time we recorded, which is good. Much quicker. I think this one is just over an hour. It is just over an hour. So we'll take last that. Last time we recorded this, we started to go insane, and it ended up 85 it, minutes it long. Was so, bad. Brandon, so you're welcome. Blessing in disguise here that we couldn't get the file to work. Now, let's just hope that this one can actually upload, because I am not going to re-record this for the eighth time. Um, no, but we hope you guys did enjoy it. If you did, go ahead and leave a five. This episode doesn't work. Expect the seven round mock draft on Twitter. Yeah, pretty much. Honestly, we're just gonna <laughs> post everything. Um, go ahead and follow us on Twitter at WN Draft Pod. Follow me on Twitter at Joshberg zero six one one. Follow Alex on Twitter at Alex Katzen. That's Katzen with the K. Um, go over to WholeNightSports and check out all our latest articles, mock drafts, scouting reports, XFL preview. All these we've got a ton of awesome writers over there. Go ahead and check yeah. out a couple stuff. Go leave read some my nice two articles. Yeah, leave wrote, some nice. I wrote comments. one about the XFL and one about Philip Rivers. The Philip Rivers one is. And I'm not just saying this because because Alex is my co-host, but the Philip Rivers article that Alex wrote this past uh, was it two days ago? Yesterday? It was yesterday. It was a very emotional article as a Chargers fan. Um, Alex is a little bit heartbroken that Rivers is gone. I was almost crying while I was writing that article. <laughs> But it, it's a great read. Go ahead and check that out. Um, if you want to check out any of my stuff, my stuff's a little bit outdated. I'll have more stuff coming out hopefully within the next week or so. Go ahead and check those out. Follow uh, Whole Nine Sports on Twitter at Whole Nine Sports. Give us a five-star review. Leave your comments down below. And we'll be doing Detroit on the next episode. And go vote on our uh, Prospect oh, Spotlight yeah, up we on have our a, Twitter right now. We, we have, have a Prospect Spotlight, spotlight up for position. Sorry. Position Spotlight. <laughs> I'm an idiot. Position spotlight up on Twitter right now. We're doing linebackers. It's going to be Friday's episode. Um, the four choices are Evan Weaver, Khalid Hudson, Marcus Bailey, and Jacob Phillips. Yeah, so go ahead and vote. Leave your uh, thoughts on each player down below. We'll touch over all four in the episode, but hey, go ahead and give us a vote. We already have more interaction on this one than we did all of last week, so we do appreciate that. And uh, that's pretty much going to do it, guys. We hope you guys do have a good one. Later. <laughs>